We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. This week we are continuing our series 10x and we are learning about how to maximize our lives. Everyone wants a great life, right? Nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I want to struggle for the rest of my life. I want hardships. I want frustrations. You know what? Throw in a side of unshakable guilt just for giggles. There's a reason why the self-help industry rakes in over $10 billion annually. But here's the thing. God wants us to go from just surviving to thriving. That's why he gave us the Ten Commandments. He didn't give them to us just as some sort of rule book to keep us from having fun, to hold us back. He gave them to us as a guide to have a better and fuller life. I don't know if it's grammatically correct, fuller, more full. He, he wants us to have a great life. Let me, let me get you up to speed real quick. So God had just set his people free from slavery under Pharaoh. He set his people free so that we could be free to worship him. Despite all that, they have chosen to act out. They've chosen to rebel. So God is like frustrating, gathers his people together for a family meeting because he's got some rebellious kids. So when he gathers together, he said, you know what? I want you guys to live your best life. Moses, bam, hear these Ten Commandments. This is a, your key to success, your key to living your best life. And last week we talked about the first commandment. And we are to serve how many gods? Let me hear it. One. One God. And this week we're going to be talking about how to worship that God. Let's pray over these things and let's get into the word because we have an exciting word today. Jesus, maximize our lives. Amen. Pray quick. To the point. We want a better life. God gave us the Ten Commandments. How can we follow those better? So I have a guilty pleasure. Now, I already know you guys are going to be making fun of me for this. Jose's already made fun of me for this. He's, he's texted me while I've been doing this. On Monday nights, I watch and live tweet during The Bachelor. I can already hear our safety team lead, Denver, is like, dang, Lewis, you be watching The Bachelor? Go ahead, give me your man card. I just hear him in the back of my head saying this. Yes, I watch The Bachelor, and it's equally hilarious and stressful. It, it, it does give me some anxiety. So I've actually dra- dragged my wife, Danae, into this mess, so you guys should pray for her because she, she can't handle it. But it's so fascinating to me. It's like watching a slow-motion train wreck. you got 32 women from all around the world competing for the love of one man, a man that they just met, a man that they don't know from Adam. But it's just so fascinating. It's just so fascinating to me because... All the things they're willing to do to, to get to this guy, they're, they're willing to lie, manipulate, cheat. They're, they're just so crazy. And to be honest, it's, dude's not impressive enough to be garnering the attention from all these women. So they're all fighting for him. And it's, it's just it's crazy because I'm like, you just met him. And you hear them say things, they're like, Oh my gosh, he's so perfect. Except for they don't say, oh my gosh, they take the Lord's name in vain. But we'll talk about that in a few weeks. He's so perfect. Oh, I just love him. I just really feel this connection with him. And, and 
if I don't get this one-on-one -on -one date, I don't know what I'll do. Like, that sounds a little dramatic for some dude that you just met that's also courting 31 other women. I don't know what I'll do if I don't get picked for this date. You see, you see women having legit panic attacks on set, passing out, fainting, because of the stress that they're putting their, their minds and their bodies into over one man. A man that they just met. I can't get over that fact. That's so wild to me. It's just so wild that... People put our, we put our faith and our hope into all these things that ultimately prove that they can't provide us happiness. For 31 of these women, they're going to go home with nothing. Nothing but nationally televised thirst. We make idols out of everything. If I can be real, oftentimes we, we think of model, uh, idols, we think of models, we think of idols, some of us think of models. Oh, oftentimes we think of idols and we think of other countries. We think of people in other countries who, who maybe have something that they walk around with, some, some sort of a trinket that they, that they worship, that they always give. Maybe they may even have it in their pocket, something that they take with them everywhere for good luck or good fortune or kind, kind of like our cell phones. Or you think of them having something in the center of their house that they, they sit all the chairs around and they just focus all their attention on and pray pray around it, and they just have everybody sitting around it, kind of like our TVs in our homes. Maybe we think of worship in other people's countries and idols in other people's countries more easily than we do in our own, because to us, it, it's just recreation. It's, it's just a, a hobby. It's just sports. It's just something I, I love, but it's really worship. It's false worship. Here's the, here's the big idea. Everyone worships. Atheists worship. Agnostics worship. Buddhists worship. Christians worship. Everyone worships because that's what we were created to do. We were made to worship. We were made to worship God. The only Everyone worships, but the only difference is who, what, when, and how we worship. Let's, let's look at worship in our culture. If you take a dude from 3,000 years ago, to a college football game on a Saturday. And he's walking around, he's seeing all these people dressed alike. All these people in, in face paint and body paint who are going around excited and who are, who are pumped. And you see a slaughtered animal on the barbecue. That kind of looks like an ancient religious gathering, right? Or take, our, our, take them to the mall or any shopping area. He sees all these people gathered around who are trying to uh, improve their life or, or better their life or better their looks. And they're, they're doing that worshiping with their wealth, giving all their money to, to these things. That kind of looks like worship, doesn't it? That kind of looks like the temples, right? Or, or we put two competing politicians against each other on election years. And we, we uh, rally for them. We cheer for them, and they, they serve, they're going to be the savior from, oh, we got to vote in this guy because this other guy is evil, or we got to vote in this person because this other person's evil, or we got to make sure this person stays in because these people are evil. And they become these functional saviors in our mind. Oh, our guy's going to save us from everything. So we're willing to, we, we rally for them. We, we campaign for them. We cheer for them. We vote for them. We storm the Capitol for them. 
All those things are acts of worship and idolatry. I know somebody's going to shut this off. Somebody's going to be like, you know what? I don't need to hear any, any more of this. I, I'm fine how it is. But I want you to, if you, before you shut this off, I want you to hear this one thing. If you don't take anything from this, idols lie. They make promises they can't deliver. But we're the ones who elevate them to that standard in our lives. Let's see what God says about idols. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, we're going to dive in. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So any of those three levels of that cake. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. See, that's a big old fat no from God in the idols department. Here's the problem. Like theologian John Calvin says, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly churning out new idols. We tend to make idols out of everything. They can be good things like our job, our, our family, our significant other, our health, our grades. We could, we could take those things and begin to idolize them until they become a lowercase g God thing in our heart. And that's what makes them a bad thing. An idol is something that begins to take center stage in your heart. It takes us to point number one. What we idolize, we will eventually demonize. God said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. See, as a society, we can't adequately comprehend the greatness of God. We, we can't put that image in, and God tells us not to. We, we have this tendency to begin to water him down because we can't comprehend how his greatness. So we water him down and begin worshiping the creation instead of the creator. See, we build up these, these celebrities, these athletes, and we worship the ground they walk on. We we follow them on social media. We know everything about them. We support them, the products that they endorse. We, we do all these things. And then when they fail, ultimately, because their name isn't Jesus, what do we do? We knock them right off that pedestal that we put them up on. See, I'm a big baseball fan, big Chicago Cubs fan. And growing up in the 90s, my favorite player was Sammy Sosa. In 1998, that home run chase that he had with Mark McGuire electrified the baseball world, and, and they were able to put baseball back on the map. See, I wanted to be just like Sammy Sosa. I wanted to wear number 21 like him. I, I played outfield like him. I did a little Sammy Sosa hop when I hit home runs in Little League. I wanted to be just like him. But then in 2003, that all began crashing down. See, in 2003, that was the, the year that the steroid allegations started coming heavy. That was also the year that when he, he corked his bat and he broke his bat and they, they found that there was cork in it. He was a cheater. My childhood idol was a fraud. It's Now he looks like the Pink Panther or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. 
the people or things that we make idols don't hold a candle to Jesus. And he doesn't like that we try to put them in the same sentence. In verse number five, it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am jealous. And I know when we hear jealous and God in the same sentence, it gives a lot of people pause like, whoa, we serve, we serve a jealous God. What God is jealous because we, we only hear jealousy in a, in a negative way. So I know that rubs a lot of people the wrong way because we think, man, I had a jealous ex once and she, she slashed my tires. Jealous God, that doesn't make sense to me. We can't comprehend that. But here's the thing. God is jealous for the honor and glory that he already earned, that he already deserves. He's jealous for what already belongs to him. Think about this. We are the bride of Christ, right? So God being jealous, if we bring in other idols into the relationship, that's committing spiritual adultery. We, we're spiritually cheating on God, so naturally God would be jealous, and we should thank God that he's jealous because that shows how much he loves us. You see, the idols that we create don't care if we begin worshiping other idols because all those idols originate from Satan, and all he wants to do is distract us from worshiping and serving God. Ultimately, all those idols are there to enslave you. They don't care which idol enslaves you just as long as an idol is enslaving you, just as long as an idol is holding that center stage in your heart. It says you shall not bow down to them or serve them because for I, the Lord of your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third generation and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Point number two, what or who we worship will either lead to a legacy of blessing or generational curses. Can I be honest? There are consequences for idolaters. Uh, some of you may be thinking, dang, Lewis, like the third and fourth generation, that seems kind of excessive, doesn't it? Like, what, what does Lewis Boyd in the third sins have to do with Lewis Boyd in the sixth or Lewis Boyd in the seventh? Yeah, I'm assuming that we're going to have that many Lewis Boyds down the line. But what, 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 do, what does your sins have to do with the third and fourth generations? You're un, operating under the assumption that parents who are sinning and who hate God don't pass that down to kids and raise kids who are sinning and hate God and worshiping idols, who pass that down to grandkids who hate God and worship idols, who pass that down to great-grandkids who hate God and worship idols. Now you've got a whole generation after generation of family that has put God second behind idols. This leads to generational curses. How many of you have been dealing with the same family generation curse, generational curses year after year in your family? You witness anger and lust in your family. You witness depression in your family. You witness violence in your family. And those same generational curses have been kicking your family's butt for generation after generation. It's time to take inventory into what you're worshiping. And I can I talk to the men for a second? Men, what example are we leading for our families? What example of worship are we leading for our families? We're called to lead. God has placed us in charge and to lead our households. How are you modeling worship? I, I see guys all the time. I, I watch football games and go to football games and, and see all these men's in the all these men's all these men in the stands with tens of thousands of strangers singing their hearts out to their team's fight song. 
Hail to the victors. I'm only going to use Michigan as an example because I don't like them. But you see all these people in the stands cheering their hearts out and singing their team's fight song with, with their chest. They're so proud of their team. But on Sunday morning during worship, they're cross-armed, looking around, afraid to sing, afraid to see who will see them sing. I see guys who are willing to spend countless hours on the job to, to make money to buy toys for their kids, but they neglect their families and are spending time teaching them prayer, modeling prayer, teaching them how to worship God, reading the Bible with their families. Guys are willing to show so much loyalty and commitment to that same lame duck team year after year that only ends up with a season of disappointment but are afraid to commit to a church that serves the one true God that only knows victory. How are we modeling worship? Who and what we worship will either lead us to a legacy of blessings or generational curses. Lions fans, if you can't say amen, say ouch. But here's the good news. In verse number six, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Verse six but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There is a legacy of blessing coming to those who keep his commandments. See, I'm very blessed to have an amazing father. Uh, my father was always at all of my games. He was always supporting me, always loving me. He's an amazing husband, amazing father. And he always was just there to support. He provided and protected in our home. But most importantly, he kept God at the center of his life. And he modeled that to his kids. He modeled the importance of prayer, of reading scripture, of finding special alone time with God. He was always displaying that. He prioritized church. And we, we always were at church every Sunday. We had to make sure we were there on time. You know, we weren't on time all the time. But he always modeled that to us. It wasn't his fault. And when God blesses him, he always turned around and blessed everyone else around him in return. See, this past summer I was over at, at the house just hanging out. And Pops comes up to me. He's like, hey, I, I, I got these AirPods here. I, I don't really have any use for them. I'm going to give these to you. And so he gives me these AirPods. And I, I initially didn't see the need for AirPods. I initially was like, I got headphones at home. You know, I got wired headphones. I could easily just use those. Like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to, to get the full value out of these. Uh, I, this is just another consumerism trick that Apple is using to get in our pockets. I don't need these AirPods. But I'm going to take them anyway. They're free, right? So... He gives me these AirPods and, and I, I love them. I take them everywhere I go. Like, I, I, I can't leave home without them. Wallet, keys, phone, AirPods. That's, that's the checklist before I leave the house ever. So these AirPods are this, this great gift that my father gave me. And truth be told, I lost them. I lost the AirPods that my dad gave me just like I knew I would. Just like I lost the gloves that he gave me. Just like I lost all the, 
the hats that he bought me. Just like I lost the pair of boots in kindergarten that he never lets me live down. I lost the AirPods. Sorry, Dad. Sorry you're finding out this way. So I, I lost those AirPods and my wife knows how much I miss those. She knew how much they meant to me. She knew how much I enjoyed them, used them. So she goes to the store and buys me these. Now, on first glance, when you looked at these, because I told you they were, you thought these were authentic, real Apple AirPods. See, I, I didn't feel like spending the money to buy another pair of expensive headphones. And my wife knew that. So I, I figured I'd get around to it one day. But she's in the store and she sees these things that look exactly like AirPods. They look exactly like them. But they're not. They, she sees these for $5. They have the same look as AirPods. They have the same feel as AirPods. And, and you put them in the ear and you can listen to music, but they don't have the same functionality as AirPods. They, they weren't able to play music from my computer to my headphones. I can listen to it from my phone, but they were also not the same quality as AirPods because they're a knockoff, they're counterfeit. She was able to get these for $5. They may look and feel and, and behave like AirPods, but they're, they're not the true thing. This company did an amazing job of making a replica. They made, they made these AirPods that look so close to the original thing that, that they could almost pass inspection, but they're not authentic. These knockoffs could provide me temporary satisfaction, but they would ultimately leave me unsatisfied because they don't compare to the real thing. I don't want to spend my own money on something that is poorer quality than something that wouldn't pass the inspection of the original creator if you looked at them. And some of us are, are buying or, or putting temporary things at the center of our lives because they, make a, they provide these feelings of fleeting satisfaction that will ultimately leave us unhappy because they're counterfeit. Point number three, don't settle for the counterfeit. So many of us are trying to convince ourselves that the counterfeit, the replica, is the real thing. That relationship that you're settling in, that you just feel like, Man, if, if this person lets me go, no one else will love me. I have to hold on to them, so I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to comprehend, uh, compromise my morals and compromise my values because no one else will love me like this person loves me. When the Bible says that no one will love you like God loves you. That job that you're stuck in, you're unhappy in, and you, it pays the bills and, and it covers all those expenses, but ultimately you're afraid to lose this job you're afraid to take a leap of faith even though you're unhappy because you don't think that you'll be able to provide when it says that God is the ultimate provider that that two-week vacation that you swear you need because I just need to get out of the office I just need space I just need to be able to to think clearly and I just need to rest when you come back from that vacation you still feel the same amount of stress you feel the same amount of anguish but if you put your faith in God, like Matthew eleven twenty eight says, it says, come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't settle for the counterfeit. God is willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine. But we often exchange that for broken promises. He says, 
behold, I am doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? Don't you settle for less? Don't you settle for the counterfeit? And for some of us, our faith looks like the counterfeit. We give off the parents. We look like we have it all together. We look like everything's in order in our lives. And we're able to just fake it till we make it. We walk through the day with a smile on our face. But if you hold our faith under a microscope, would it be able to pass the inspection of the Creator? Many of us haven't let God change our hearts from counterfeit to the real thing. We know that God sent His Son down to die for us. We know that that we're supposed. We know all these truths in the Bible. We know everything that God says about us in the Bible. We we know that we're we're supposed to be the head, not the tail. We know that we're supposed to be first and not last. We know that that God is going to protect us, provide for us, love us, care for us. We know all these things, but we're willing to trade those in for the counterfeit. So our faith looks counterfeit. We continue to put ourselves in this cycle of worshiping creation and not creator. And I don't know about you, but in, in 2021 and beyond, I want to make sure that I trade in the counterfeit for the real thing. God is offering us an unbalanced trade. God is offering us our life for everything. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And today I want to offer you this opportunity to hit that reset button. Today I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ and, and trade in the counterfeit for the real thing. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for your commandments. We realize they're not to keep us in bondage, but they're to accelerate our life. We thank you for sending your son down to die for us. Today we want to exchange our counterfeit for the real thing. We're no longer going to worship the creation. We only want to worship you our creator. We ask these and many other blessings in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.